BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey there, everybody. Tom Rose, Gary Bauer with you. The Bauer and Rose show for... uh uh, an incredibly eventful week, both uh, in Washington, D.C., across the country and uh, overseas. Gary in Washington today and I um, am in Warsaw, Poland, after having spent one of the most remarkable um, three days, two and a half days that I've ever had in my long 60-year existence. Gary, um, commemorating the 80th anniversary of the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, which began 80 years ago uh, Thursday, the 19th, when for the very first time in the history of occupied Europe, there was an organized armed resistance um, staged by the remaining Jews of the Warsaw Ghetto. It took the Nazis, it took the German army 40 days to finally crush this rising, this revolt, uh, which was only six days less than it took for that army to crush France, and it was a week longer than it took the German army to crush the Polish army. It was, I, I don't know if you spent, uh, if you've had any time to watch any of the media coverage of it, um, it was one of the most moving events I've ever attended. The hopelessness of the cause, I mean, everybody, Gary, uh, knew they were going to die. Uh, the option was not ha- if we're going to live, but how we're going to die. If we're going to die passively, if we're going to take um, our oppressors with us. And the cur- and these ki- these were kids that the the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising was led by a 23 year old. Now we call him a man. He's an Israeli hero, Mordechai Anilevich. He was 23 years old. His partner, Pavel Frankel, was the old man of the outfit. He was 26. Today, 26-year-olds, <laughs> a lot of them don't have jobs. They're gaming. They're, it's just the, the stunning transformation of that one act from the Jewish people uh, being passive and powerless to um, fighting for their freedom and defending themselves with power has been utterly uh, revolutionary in terms of, I mean, it was the founding act of the establishment of the state of Israel in many, in many respects. It was an extraordinary event. The presidents of Germany, Poland, and the Israeli president Isaac Herzog, uh, were there. Um, it was preceded by a march, uh, the day prior in Krakow, Poland, in, uh, Auschwitz, Poland. Um, from Auschwitz I to Auschwitz II, there were 10,000 uh, college kids, Jewish kids from all over the world, 600 kids from Argentina, 50 from Panama, over 1,000 Israeli kids. It was just absolutely, there was a huge delegation from, uh, um, and you're going to shoot me because um, I've forgotten the name, a huge delegation from uh, Pastor Hagee's um, uh, church, church, Group. Uh, I think 60 or 70 kids from San Antonio. Yeah, um, I think is. Uh, it was just, it was the most moving. I mean, I was a little, a little upset you weren't there because it was, it was, it was just a terribly, terribly moving couple of days. Yeah, I, I would have loved to have been there. And, and it's kind of fitting, Tom, you know, because my family and I, a few weeks ago, were in Normandy where, of course, the, the free world uh, uh, or the new world is Churchill uh, referred to it, you know, road to the rescue of, uh, of Europe. And, uh, you, you know, we, we spent time both in Normandy and in Paris. And, and the Paris is Paris, right? Every, every country in the world is better than its biggest city. And, uh, th- that's, uh, also true of France because in Normandy, the residual pro-American sentiment uh, it is so thick in the air 
that you, you can actually feel it. I mean, as soon as people found out we were Americans in the Normandy region, it was, uh, oh, well, so wonderful to have you here. You know, my family used to live about five miles from here when the GIs came in. And, you know, and I, I mean, it's still alive for them. Uh, of course, in, in Paris, they're uh, they're rioting because uh, Macron <laughs> wants them to work until they're 40 or something instead of 42 or whatever. That, to work four-day weeks until they're 37. Right. right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so, um, you know, it's striking, Tom. I, I've always been inspired uh, as a Gentile Christian by the Warsaw Uprising, just by the sheer audacity of it. And it's not... Um, you know, it's what they call a, a, a victory where the price is so terrible, a fearic victory, right? But it, but this is the opposite of that, right? It is on paper a defeat that was such a wonderful uh, uh, effort and exertion that, in fact, it was a victory. It tied down German troops. It was inspirational. It helped seal the deal of this mindset of the Jewish people that they would never truly be a strong people that had any security until they had their home, until there was a place called Israel again, until there was a military whose job was to defend Jews. Um, and they have that now. And, and of course, the world's dangerous and uh, only God knows how history will play itself out. Uh, but but never again will Jews be marched off someplace to uh, ignoble deaths without uh, uh, the, the people wanting to do that, facing a mighty military that will exact the price. I mean, it was uh, it it drove home to me anyway in a way that I don't think. And I, it's funny because I have been to uh, Auschwitz. I think that was my sixth trip. And people asked if I'd been there before, and my answer was it doesn't make a difference because it um, each time is the first time. I mean, it's yeah. it's it's so overwhelming that it literally almost defies description. But it it greatly reinforced this this belief that I, you know, one Jew anyway, has about what the single most important lesson of the Holocaust was, and it really was wrapped up in the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising that. The Jewish any people uh, must never again be helpless to defend themselves against their enemies, or to rely on others to defend them against their enemies. Um, and as a Jew, it, it's just the most powerful lesson of the Holocaust is that Jews must have the power to defend themselves, defend ourselves by ourselves in the state of Israel or elsewhere. Um, which is the the same message that can be applied to you know, any endangered or threatened or oppressed minority people anywhere. And I guess um, if there's one sentence, it would be, while might, you know, doesn't make right, in a world filled with evil, right without might ensures the success of evil. Oh, yeah, there's no question about it. We've talked many, many times, Tom, that, it, you know, uh, if an even greater plague hit the United States, uh, some plague that only killed Americans. By the way, I, I, I'm convinced the Chinese communists are actually working on a plague like that. Uh, they actually are doing research that, on, on diseases that they can manipulate so they would only kill particular ethnic or racial groups. I mean, ponder that, right? But if because of that or some nat natural calamity or because... God just gets fed up with us and uh, strikes a, um, uh, a lightning bolt and takes us down. It, it wouldn't take 50 years. It wouldn't take 10 years. It wouldn't take, in my view, 12 months before the world would sink into another dark age. The powerful and evil forces in the world would immediately go to work. And all the free countries that depend on us uh, at the end of the day for their liberty would have to make their separate pieces. You know, I mean, it's, we play that kind of an instrumental role. The, the other thing that comes to mind, Tom, is, you know, you look at the whole uh, history, the pre-World War II period, the war itself, 
And, and what I'm always struck by is that there are great stories of human courage and noble actions like the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. And then there are other stories of Vichy France and Quisling in Norway. And, you know, there's the, the, the Christians that hid Jews in their attics and there's the Christians that brought the swastika into the church and proudly displayed it next to the cross of Jesus. All great tumultuous moments in history have the effect of a winnowing out. The true inner core of each individual is tested. And you find out who's a bum and who's a hero and who belongs to the much larger group in between I think it's a much larger group who really at the end of the day just makes their way. You know, what, you know, what, what do I need to do to be able to continue to live my life? You know, they're not really Nazi sympathizers, but they're not going to cause any trouble either. You know, I, I mean, um, it's, I'm, I'm in Poland now and, and there's a, um, uh, Poles are extremely sensitive, hypersensitive, uh, rightly so to allegations that uh, Poland was somehow complicit. Um, and what's the expression, you know, don't judge lest these shall be judged? People have to remember that in Poland, um, 20% of the entire country was killed. 3 million Polish Jews and 3 million Poles, non-Jews. Uh, they, weren't mur- they weren't killed, they weren't murdered in the same way. But... Uh, Nazi laws were as as vicious here as they were anywhere in occupied Europe. Any Pole accused of aiding a Jew in any way uh, was an immediate death sentence to him and his family. Now, think about it for a second. You've got, you know, beautiful, gorgeous grandchildren. Um, I've got three boys. Uh, one, my, our first coming uh, down the pike here, hopefully. Um, can I, in all honesty, say that I would risk their lives uh, in order to give a potato to, uh, you know, to a starving stranger? I, I, I mean, I hope, uh, I don't know. I hope I would. I pray I would. But um, in the precious, precious few, the Holocaust brought out the very, very best in humanity, the Raoul Wallenbergs, the Shinoe Sigaharas, the Albert Battles, Oscar Schindlers. But you're right, Gary, and many, many others, it brought out the very worst. You know, Tom, uh, it's, it's not, it, it used to be sort of an academic exercise that some people would go through. Now I, I hear people, particularly on our side, uh, talking about it as if it's something that might actually happen. Which is, uh, I got. I want to be very careful with my words here. Which is, if America continues down the road to this sort of neo-Marxist, uh, socialist uh, culture and government, uh, which we talk about at great length um, on this show, on this podcast, and, and stuff is happening every day that are, is just extraordinary. Um, and, and the silencing of opposition and the uh, punishment of those that oppose what's going on and so forth. Um, you know, look around your neighborhood and uh, ask yourself, uh, would your liberal neighbors, what would their relationship be to you as a conservative or as a Jew or as a believing Christian that's serious about his faith? Um, what would they be willing to do if the government of the United States really became a hostile government to people like us? Do we would even have, have to? Do we even have to ask that question? Look what they do when we post something online they don't agree with. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, it, it's uh, it's sad to think about that. Um, uh, you, you know, I, I think it's uh, who. Who is it that's that said in speeches that that Jews have been um, uh, oppressed so many times throughout your history uh, by Gentiles of various stripes um, that 
it, it, it's probably distorted um, the mindset of Jewish people. Hundred percent. To to the extent that subconsciously, every time they meet somebody like me that says, uh, "Oh, great to meet you," you know, uh, I'm a big fan of Israel, uh, you know, and. Uh, uh, I've been doing a lot to fight against anti-Semitism that nonetheless, in the back of a, of a Jew's mind, may be a thought process going on of, is he really, I mean, <laughs> would he hide me in the attic or if, uh, you know, the, you know what hits the fan or would he just turn me in like so many previous generations of Jews have been turned in? I, I don't know. I hope Jews and uh, Orthodox Christians uh, don't ever have to ask that question again, but we're, we're seeing some pretty dark stuff today. Um, and uh, I can think a lot of people that would uh, would take great glee in turning me in, Tom, and I'm sure they would do the same to you. <laughs> well, that's I think that's the key point. I think it reinforces what we were discussing earlier, and that is we must never allow ourselves to be put in that position again. Why yeah. would I have to worry about Gary Bauer or anybody else or, you know, my neighbor? Um, my future, my strength, my security must be in my hands. It's, it's un, it would be unfair to ask you to risk everything. You know, that's why yeah. the lesson has got to be that while right certainly doesn't make right, might, uh, while might certainly doesn't make right, um, might without right ensures right loses. Look, this isn't exactly on point, Tom, but it's sort of in the same category. So Hillary Clinton's vice presidential running mate, a Senator Kane from Virginia, who's considered in the wacky world of the Democrat Party to be kind of a moderate. Uh, that gags me to even say that, but that's how they look at him. So I believe he's Catholic. <clears throat> and um, he was asked this week by a reporter uh, Senator, you haven't said much about this uh, really startling story that came out that the FBI was attempting to send FBI agents undercover into Catholic churches that were uh, orthodox in their Catholicism, that wanted to keep the Latin mask and so forth, because apparently the FBI had decided that uh, these Catholic churches were sort of a breeding ground for some sort of white supremacy or Christian nationalism or who knows what, you know, uh, as a, you know, what do you think about that? And his response, Tom, was, look, I think this was basically a failure of communication. What the FBI should have done was to go to the church ahead of time and say, we have a, you know, a reason to believe that there are some extremists in your congregation, and we're going to have to come in there to kind of monitor them. We just want your cooperation. So a Catholic said publicly, he's fine with the FBI coming into Catholic congregations to monitor extremists. And I think he actually compared, he goes, you know, we were doing similar things uh, in mosque after 9-11. Okay, but <laughs> which Catholics have blown up anything lately or flown hijacked planes into something? Catholic senator, former vice presidential candidate, uh, Tim Kaine. I mean, this is how far the left has become and the Democrat Party has become a party all in with weaponizing the federal government against their political opponents. I mean, when did the United States of America become East Germany? Every time, you know, these cranks and kooks in Congress are on college campuses um, talk about how glorious socialism is and communism is, they always say that it's benevolent and uh, democratic socialism and Scandinavia, 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 when in fact it's East Germany. Right. I mean, it's, um, you know, you got Bernie Sanders, AOC, Democrats in general, Tim Kaine, probably. I wasn't quite aware of that. But um, all this overeducated, um, uh, underexperienced uh, left wing clerisy, as as Victor Davis Hanson might call it, um, 
want us to become not like Scandinavia. They want us to become like East Germany, uh, uh, which was a, a terrible, terrible puppet regime of the Soviet Union and an absolutely miserable, miserable place to live. And I think one out of four, one out of five people in the country were were um, uh, official, quote unquote, informants of the Stasi, the East German secret police everybody's house was bugged um uh, you get to a certain level of that tom the the message is clear right every individual cannot trust anybody including their own children because in these countries children are told things in the classroom that you're not supposed to tell your parents gee sounds familiar and and what the teachers are telling the children are you know there are bad people out there that want to hurt our country and you, you know, you need, you love your country. And if you ever hear mom and dad saying anything that sounds like they don't love East Germany or Poland or whatever, you know, you be sure to tell us at school and we'll take care of it. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a terrible way to live. By, by the way, this week, Tom, uh, Elon Musk whose rocket just blew up. Oh, I didn't uh, know. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He warned that this was a real possibility, you know. It's got 31 or 32 different engines. Doesn't that yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> greatly complicated? I, I yeah. didn't hear that. I'm sorry to hear that. So uh, he, um, he was interviewed this week by Tucker Carlson, and he was talking about um, one of the surprises he had when he got inside of Twitter and started looking around was how much access not only U.S. intelligence agencies, but intelligence agencies of other countries had to what people were posting on Twitter, even in their direct messages. Apparently on Twitter, I don't do use it for that, but on Twitter, I could go on and send you personally a tweet that only you would see and we would have a a conversation on twitter i mean yeah that nobody else would see and tucker said well are you talking about you're not talking about direct messages are you and he sort of hesitated he goes yes i'm talking about even direct messages and i believe elon musk said if it wasn't him then it was um uh laura logan who is a former ABC reporter, a very credible person, she said the intelligence agencies of the United States, Great Britain, Canada, and New Zealand are working together to censor the populations of their four countries. This is the West. When we talk about the West, these are the countries we're talking about. You could throw Australia in there, you know. I mean, these are the English-speaking Western countries whose intelligence agencies are that are supposed to protect them from foreign enemies are now using the considerable power, ironically, that conservative parties in those countries urged us to give to our intelligence agencies to protect us. And they're now using those powers to oppress us. And it's it's the so-called free media, the independent media that actually now not only covers for, but actively conspires with the government to keep secrets. Yep. Now, n- no one is arguing for leaking classified information. That's a crime. But the media used to celebrate whistleblowers who agreed with them politically, right? Remember Daniel Ellsberg, the Pentagon Papers, Edward Snowden? They still celebrate them now, Tom, only it's when the leaks are leaks that will damage political opposition. That's exactly right. And the the hypocrisy arguments are effective insofar as they go. But what really um, we're dealing with is a lawlessness when there are two sets of laws, as Mark Levin would say, there's no laws. When there's two sets of justices, two sets of justice, there's no justice. No, we don't have snipers like they did in uh, East Berlin waiting to, to, uh, to shoot expats or people trying to uh, escape the country. But how many people today that have public, you know, social media profiles are afraid to express their views for fear of being canceled? fear of being attacked for not 
towing the supposed narrative of the day or sued for adhering to their faith, how long will it be at this stage before we actually criminalize dissent in this country? And these are questions that... Right. These are questions that are being raised by you and I the day after... um, a Chinese police station in New York City was busted. The Chinese yeah, three more U.S. cities that have the same thing. Uh, I mean, walk so me through. Apparently, the left is in favor of funding the police as long as they're Chinese <laughs> communist police. <laughs> we got to the take guys they arrested in Manhattan are prominently displayed in multiple photographs with groups of people having meetings with Chuck Schumer. And with other people, the, they were not only running this, they were considered to be prominent, uh, good representatives of the Chinese American community. And they're working to oppress Chinese Americans. Unbelievable. We got to take a break when we come back. More Bauer and Rose right here on Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125, justthenews.com, and wherever you get your podcasts. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts, included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back, everybody. Gary Bauer, Tom Rose with you. Hope you're having a a terrific uh, weekend, start to it, end of it, whenever you listen to us, whether you're listening to us live on Sirius XM or via podcast. By the way, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us. Give us a five-star rating. Make sure and hit the subscribe button and tell all your friends about us. The other, um, and I've been out of the country all week, but the other big news this week, um, I think, Gary, and you can either agree, disagree, or um, submit an alternate thesis is the growing evidence of, and I hate to call it the Hunter Biden scandal because it's not Hunter, it's Joe, Joe Biden. The collusion now um, that the Biden campaign has actually confirmed under sworn testimony in the House that Tony Blinken, who's now our Secretary of State, immediately hit the phones the moment that Miranda Devine's piece about Hunter Biden's laptop uh, broke and then was immediately suppressed by big tech and big media into confessing that he called Mike Morrell, who was Hillary Clinton's former uh, CIA director and intelligence senior aide, to round up as many quote-unquote national security officials as he could to immediately produce a letter stating that the Hunter Biden laptop story was Russian disinformation. Talk, I mean, that in and of itself is, this makes all the Donald Trump stuff, which is, which is picayune to begin with, um, non-existent. Right, absolutely. Tom, this is a, not one of those men and women has apologized now that we know that that letter was completely wrong. Now, some of them I've seen try to play these word games where they'll, they'll say, oh, the letter did not say that uh, the Hunter laptop was Russian disinformation. It said it had all of the earmarks of something that would be Russian disinformation. <laughs> now, you know, obviously... That, I mean, seriously. I mean, I, I saw a guy arguing this with uh, Brett Baer on Fox six months ago. I almost fell out of my chair. No, Tom, it's, uh, that, that, that's horrible. These are res- many of these people were respected members of the intelligence community, and they were willing to be politically used in order to destroy the nominee of one of America's two major political parties. And it's 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 unacceptable. I uh, and but, but what are you going to say? There's been another development Tom, that may not have hit Poland yet today. Uh, a um, an insider, I believe, at the IRS has come forward, a whistleblower, 
has sent a letter to uh, Comer, all the uh, Republicans on the committee and all the Democrats on the committee, and said, I have the actual evidence of Hunter Biden's illegality and and the evidence of, of how that what he was doing was benefiting the entire Biden family. And I can prove that a high ranking member of the Biden administration lied on Capitol Hill in a hearing uh, about the independence of the prosecutor in Delaware uh, that Congress was told was given all the information he needed. This guy said he can prove that is not true and that perjury has taken place. Comer has said he is a credible witness. Uh, he's got actual documents. Uh, we'll see. I've been disappointed so many times. I, 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 I can't get myself. It's like watching the first inning of a Cincinnati Reds game. <laughs> I think they're going to win today. Oh, wait a minute. Second inning. No, no it's not going to happen. Right. Uh, it's nothing. Uh, so we'll see what happens. But um, something else jumped out of me today. You know, John F. Kennedy, uh, I mean, Robert Kennedy Jr. announced he's going to run. Uh, a poll came out yesterday after his announcement uh, Biden, 65 percent. Robert Kennedy Jr., 14 percent. That sort of new age woman, 5 percent and undecided another 14 percent. Mm. So one third of the Democrat Party is willing to go to a woman that sits around going, um, Robert <laughs> Kennedy Jr. or anybody. They don't know what they're going to do. So there are splits in the Republican Party, but there are also major splits in the Democrat Party that the media, of course, keeps a lid on. Right. And if you step back and look at the threats we face, as severe and serious as they are overseas domestically, they're far more serious. Abraham Lincoln's line that if um, if death be our lot, suicide uh, will be the means. Uh, we've got a Democrat Party that in, I guess, the quintessential explanation of projection, you know, what psychologists and sociologists uh, uh, call projection when you accuse someone of doing exactly what you're doing, uh, the end of democracy, the threat to democracy, these platitudes are being spouted by a party that is actively seeking to end the filibuster so they can ram through any legislation they want in the Senate and basically mm -hmm. neuter the Senate. There'll be no point in even having a Senate if the filibuster uh, is broken. Openly advocating governing by executive order, writing out the Congress entirely. They want and are delivering open borders and border policies designed to import millions and millions of foreigners are going to drive down our wages. Uh, but most importantly, they're going to become reliable Democrat voters. They want to, uh, in addition to ruining the Senate, they also want to pack it by adding the District of Columbia, which would require a constitutional amendment because D.C.'s a, um, a federal district that's written into the Constitution. Puerto Rico, which doesn't want to become a state, they want to pack the Supreme Court. They want to grow it so they can put more left-wingers on the Supreme Court. Um, and most dangerously, they're not only advocating, but they're pursuing policies designed to censor people whose uh, opinions are different than theirs, a clear, gross, egregious violation of the First Amendment. And they're, they actively seek to destroy anyone who disagrees with them from a former president of the United States on down. They want to criminalize all dissent. They want to imprison their opponents. Um, and these aren't, you know, wild pie in the sky. Uh, allegations it backed up. I mean, there you and I can come up with hundreds and hundreds of examples of quotes that our so-called, you know, Democratic leaders openly advocate. Yeah, when, when Trump says, um, uh, and you know, let me just say again, we've got a process going on here called the nominating process. There's, you know, there's going to be a lot of disagreement about that and who gets it and people will make their choices. Uh, but Trump, I think, is correct when he says they come after me, Trump, so viciously because they really want to get to you. 
And they've got to go through me to do that. They've got to send you a message that you dare not ever try to have somebody like me be president again because you are supposed to stay in your place and do what you're told. You're not supposed to be able to elect somebody that will fight back for you. And arguably, Tom, uh, uh, Trump and Pence and the three Supreme Court appointments they made literally built the only real wall that's been built to keep this from being game over. I mean, right now we've got a five and a half to a a five, a four and a five and a half to three and a half majority on the Supreme Court uh, because Roberts is sort of unpredictable. Uh, But if they can, um, if they can drive uh, Clarence Thomas off the court, which they're trying to do right now, put so much pressure on him, he has a heart attack or a stroke, or he and his wife decide, uh, you know, we let's just get a few years where we can enjoy ourselves. We've served our country. We, you know, we can't, we're not going to spend the rest of our lives dealing with this horse. You fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Th- so uh, th- really this whole thing is hanging by, uh, hanging by a thread. You know, there was a case before the Supreme court yesterday uh, argued on Tuesday. I'm sorry about whether uh uh, an employer, and in this case, the employer is the Postal Service, uh, which is sort of quasi-governmental. Uh, c- can they say to a Christian, uh, you have to work on Sunday or we're going to demote you? And uh, the Biden administration uh, went in, went before the Supreme Court and argued that, uh, yes, the Postal Service should have a right to do that. Um, so which, you know, is baloney, because if ever a Muslim were to say, I'm not going to work on Friday or I'm not going to work on Id al-Fitr or Id al-Adha or any of the uh, main Muslim holidays, uh, he'd win. Of course, he yeah. wouldn't. Of course, he wouldn't be obligated to work on his holy days, just as a Jew shouldn't be forced to work on his holy days, a Christian. Uh, but it's everybody talks about the anti-religious animus of our administration and our, you know, the, the totemic heights of our, our cultural institutions, it's anti-Christian impetus and bias, much, much more so than it's anti-Muslim or anti-Jewish. It's Christianity yeah. they're terrified of, it's Christians they're fearful of, and it's Christians they hate. You, you know, uh, I know you've noticed this, Tom, how the, all the media, anytime they do a story involving uh, Islam, American Muslims, and and uh, the Quran and so forth, they'll always say the Holy Quran. If some jerk burns a Quran, they burn the Holy Quran. Written by you know, the remember? Prophet Muhammad. Not right. the Muslim right. Prophet Muhammad, the Prophet yes. Muhammad. Right. Right. The Prophet Muhammad. They'll never say when it's a Bible story, well, he's a Bible, you know, they'll say he's a Bible thumper, not a Holy Bible thumper. The name of the book to Christians is the Holy Bible. You know, but it's just the Bible. And if they mention Christ, they'll say Christ, who Christians believe is the son of God. You know, they won't say, you know, um, anything that would indicate that that everybody understands that Christ is this, you know. So, no, it, it is amazing the, the different standards that are used in this. There's another thing, uh, not directly related, but gets to this point about how the Democrats are at war with democracy. Remember after January 6th, there was something, some uh, day that, that happened, uh, well, maybe it was Inauguration Day, and then there was a day after that where U.S. intelligence agencies said they had reason to believe there were going to be attempts and state capitals all over the country uh, for groups like the one that had rushed the capital to rush the state capitals and try to do nefarious things. And I remember that the, the, a number of governors called out the National Guard in their states to ring them around the state capitals like they were called out to be uh, around the U.S. Capitol. Well, there weren't any demonstrations in any of those state capitals. But in the last five months, Tom, in six state capitals in the United States, left-wing mobs have rushed 
those state capitals and occupied state legislatures and tried to stop those legis uh, to shut those legislatures down. The most recent one was in Tennessee, which uh, also had the added factor that two sitting members of the Tennessee legislature cooperated in this attempt to take over the legislature. They went into the front of the chamber with bullhorns and led the demonstrators in the gallery in chanting chants that required the proceedings of the legislature uh, to be suspended. Some of those chants, one particular one was uh, something that, that was heard in all six state capitals. This is what democracy looks like, they chanted. Now, nobody said, uh, gee, you're doing what the crowd on January 6th did. The same media that's still cheering as people are still being arrested for being in town on January 6th, cheered these protesters in these six states that went in and took over state legislatures. That's why it's all about the end result. Yes. The, the ends justify the means. What they want is power, which is why these two radical left-wing Tennessee legislators are heroes to the left for doing exactly what the quote-unquote insurrectionists did on January 6th. It's now heroic to... Uh, interrupt to obstruct uh, legislative proceeding uh, if you are spouting the right mantras. Um, and, I mean, there's a, a great op-ed in the Wall Street Journal this morning. Next week, the White House is going to throw a celebratory bash for these two Tennessee legislators who did exactly what the January 6th protesters attempted to do, and that was to disrupt a legislative session. We've got over a thousand people either in jail or um, having faced charges already being indicted for things like obstructing a legislative session or parading without a permit. You know, these heinous, heinous Julius and Ethel Rosenberg type crimes. I'm being facetious, obviously. Uh, a couple of days ago, the White House press secretary, um, uh, and I'm quoting here uh, in her briefing, said that it was a shame, quote, that for peacefully protesting uh, in support of stronger gun safety laws should result in such disproportionate punishment. Uh, President Biden personally phoned these two and thanked them for their leadership, quote unquote, and for defending, quote, democratic values since when is it a democratic value it isn't these are terms they use democracy to destroy democracy they're using their defense and love of democracy as tools to weaken it yeah you're, you're absolutely right tom you know uh, florida was another one of these states that that experienced this uh mob action in their state legislature and that's a, that's an excellent word for it that's exactly yeah. what it was yeah, they, I think they were voting on either a transgender issue or maybe on an abortion bill. But the uh, the demonstrators filled the gallery. And as the roll call was being called and uh, senators, state senators were voting and it was becoming more and more obvious that the pro-lifers are the ones that wanted to regulate uh, the so-called gender affirming surgeries, et cetera, were going to win this vote. The people in the gallery started hurling trash down on the heads of the Florida state senators. That's an assault. There's no, I have not found any story about, about anybody being arrested. Right, you're, you're not you're going to. Condemned, you and know? you won't. I mean, the response from Senate Democrat leaders is even more unbelievable than, than we've just been talking about. Chuck Schumer last week wrote a letter to the Attorney General Merrick Garland demanding a Justice Department investigation as to whether the Tennessee House violated the U.S. Constitution for demanding that members of the Tennessee legislature abide by the rules of the Tennessee legislature that they all vote for. I mean, so now it's, it's a constitutional violation to uphold the 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 rules of behavior and decorum inside a state legislature. Now, that'll only happen, of course, if the violators of those rules are leftists, not if they're conservatives. Yeah. Is it a violation of the Constitution to restrict people from walking into 
the capital of the United States, which is the People's House, in, in order to petition the Congress on an issue that they care about? Through I mean, open I doors. Right. <laughs> right. I understand why people got upset, but there, there really isn't any difference in these things. And in its own way, Tom, uh, there's a guy that writes for a website called The Stream, and I would recommend people go to this website. It's a Christian-oriented uh, website, but they cover a lot of news. Mike Huckabee writes for them a lot. But there's a lot of good stuff there that you don't see anyplace else. And there's a guy over there that's coined a phrase called, I think he calls it anarcho-tyranny. And what he means is that the left does this deal where um, if, if, if conservatives get out of line, demonstrate or speak up or um, anything like that, they come, they come down on you like a ton of bricks. Um, so they'll go after regular demonstrators, but they'll also go against, you know, really try to nail that guy. Uh, that Rittenhouse guy, you know, that uh, went into the town in Wisconsin and tried to defend the city from being burned down. Uh, you know, that couple in Missouri that, uh, you know, a mob entered their gated community and they went out on the front porch with their legally owned firearms and said, move on, move on. This is private property that, you know, every the state Democrats, the federal government, man, they tried to destroy that couple for having the audacity to defend their home. Now, the other side of this uh, techno or this uh, anarcho um, tyranny is that they and their supporters have a right to riot and they will call it mostly peaceful. They have a right to assault you, and it will be called that you incited them by the thing you were wearing or your racist MAGA hat or whatever. So this was very important to to, to Hitler and to the I Nazis. Was just gonna say, I was just going to say that. Absolutely. The, the whole point of having Nazi thugs to to battle anybody in Berlin and around Germany that opposed them was that the courts and the prosecutors would always let the Nazi thugs off, but they would always throw the book at those that were fighting. You know, I was debating, do I interrupt him? Do I interrupt him? And for once in my life, I decided, no, I'm not going to interrupt him. And then he ends up stealing my line. Weimar uh, well, thank you for sending me a copy of, <laughs> of my show uh, notes. The- Yes, no, no. the uh, the the paperback copy of uh, the rise and fall of the Third Reich. Are you complaining that it wasn't hardcover? No, I, I'm just. You're I complaining that it wasn't hardcover. I'm How do you like that, ladies and gentlemen? I, I don't have any more room in my library <laughs> unless it's a soft cover because I can bend it to fit into the space. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I was just going to say, and this is a point we've made. And if you're a a regular Bower and Rose listener, I apologize for the redundancy, but as as George Orwell used to uh, say quite famously, the first responsibility of a good citizen is to restate the obvious. We're living in a mirror image of Weimar Germany. Weimar Germany was the uh, democratic republic between the end of the First World War and the rise of Adolf Hitler in Germany, lasted 15 years. It was mayhem. It was chaos. There was freedom like no European countries ever had. Sexual license exploded onto the scene in a way that today we wouldn't even bat an eye. You know, it's perfectly, you know, we would consider them um, prudish, but they were totally out there. The courts were... Well, they weren't insisting on Berlin reading hours with little children during all of this, but anyway. No, I, but it was, it was, uh, it, and the reason it's the mirror image was because all the radicals, all the hard, hardcore radicals, the students, the faculties at universities, the courts, were all hard right, whereas today it's hard left. And the courts, as you said, any time there's left-wing violence, they threw the book at them, as they should have, but when there's right-wing violence, they didn't do a thing. I mean, Hitler got, what, seven months in Landsberg prison for the uh, Munich coup attempt in 1923? Um, and we saw what happened. Violence begets violence. Lawlessness begets lawlessness. And it's all there. We can read about it, learn about it, but we're not. 
So, Tom, uh, the um, you know there was this pro-life father with five or six kids or whatever who several years ago he was a regular demonstrator along with other people outside abortion clinics, and several years ago he got into a shoving match with a pro-abortion demonstrator, uh, and it was very cloudy about what the shoving match was over. The father claims that the guy was harassing uh, the pro-life guy's son, but local prosecutors looked at it and said, there's no issue here. Two guys on different sides of an issue went, went too far and started shoving each other. But the Biden administration goes back two years and brings federal charges against the guy and uh, charges him under laws that could have put him in prison for like 10 years for a shoving match outside of an abortion clinic. Fortunately, a jury uh, acquitted him. After after he had to spend more than $200,000 on his own defense. Yeah, after he went through hell and after his family had to see uh, FBI agents with automatic weapons come barging into their house to arrest their father. On the other side of the country, in uh, uh, after Roe versus Wade was overturned, a transgender guy goes to a church, spray paints disgusting stuff on it, destroys statuary in the church. When a church worker sees him and tries to stop him, he assaults the church worker. When the police shows up, he physically fights them as they try to arrest him. The Justice Department just did a plea deal with him in which he will not have to stand trial nor serve one day in prison. There it is in all of its inglorious obviousness. Now, Tom, I, I, you know, I know people are going to say, what are you nuts, Power? I think it is very important at a time like this that conservatives find more reasons to demonstrate. We need to assert that we have the same rights to assemble as the left does. I'm not advocating anybody violate the law, but it is incredibly important that we not allow the principle to be established that the left can demonstrate even violently but conservatives better not dare come outside their homes and demonstrate outside the Capitol, a state Capitol, outside an abortion clinic, heck, outside of Budweiser. There should have been 500 women, conservative women, outside that corporate headquarters in the aftermath of uh, Bud Light's uh one for the textbook, how not to sell something. <laughs> especially especially a, a working class beer. We're out of time, um, but it's been, this has been a special show. They're all special, but this is more special than the other specials. This whole show is built on the idea, Tom, that we're out of time. We don't enough, <laughs> You're absolutely right? right. That's incredibly well said. Incredibly well said. We'll have a great weekend, and you we too. will talk to you uh, next week. Make sure and hit the subscribe button. Make sure um, and tell your friends about us and give us a five-star rating. This is the Bauer and Rose Show, brought to you by our good friends at Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125, and JustTheNews.com.